have Brad Smith, co-founder of Sonar Software. I don't know exactly why I'm here other than the fact that I just lost a bet to my good friend Jamie and here we are, go Notre Dame. I know they beat Clemson earlier, so I've got to get it out. I've got a fight song later on we'll talk about, but excited to be here. Welcome to Sassholes. We are revenue ops with an edge. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Jason, Marcus, and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. DemandFarm.com. Unlock key account growth with Demand Farm's large deal, key account, and relationship intelligence products. Go to DemandFarm.com now to schedule a demo. Ask for Iron Man. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In five hours over five weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team build the mindset and skills for a new buyer environment. Kick off in product-driven selling versus authentic conversations for all go-to-market teams. Team-level sessions for self-assessment and team dialogue. All go-to-market team wrap-up to identify top go-to-market strategy adjustments. Go to winalytics.com now. We got some shout-outs to do. John O'Connell, new gig performance marketing director at Tasty Live. Dustin Mazinkowski, one year at Squarespace. Brandon Park, four years at Absolute Medical. Sarah Seeger, one year at Clarity Benefit Solutions. Kareem Busta, three years at SoftBank Investment Advisors. Linda McHugh, new gig sales development director at Vericast. Trevor Van Worden, new gig founder at Hotness Unleasher Studios. Michael Pieper, new gig business development director at Corn Ferry. Kim Dickow, how you doing? Four years at Gartner. Greg Gonzalez, new gig, revenue operations manager at Pangea. Jenny Ferrara, big friend of the show and a friend of Jason, I'm sure. She's happy to share he's starting a new gig as senior enterprise account executive, digital media at Adobe. And of course, we've got a couple happy birthdays. Zach Sikora and old school Jamie Neroni. How you doing, young lady? Another spinner. Yeah. Brad Smith, what is sonar, man? It seems like you aggregate a lot of stuff in one place and makes a great user experience. Yeah. I could I'll, be a marketing guy. You could. I was about to say, mind uh, my, my hiring here in a second. No, if you think of sonar at its core, we're a change intelligence platform for operations teams. What the hell does that mean? Uh, right now, and I know we're going to talk a lot about technology, especially tech stacks. There is more technology at your fingertips now more than ever. And typically, you've got ops teams, IT teams, any team that has the power of administering that or really rolling their sleeves up and building. There's a really hard question to answer, and it's a pretty easy question to ask. Hey, how does this system work with that system? What fields is it touching? What automation layers? If I click this button three times, what happens everywhere else in the rest of my go-to-market tech stack? That's a really hard question to answer. Seemingly, you would think anybody that is configuring it is going to be able to answer that fluidly, quickly. We all know that's not the case. Um, one thing that we've heard from so many of our customers is, man, I don't even have a data alignment strategy. We actually just released a new data dictionary version for this. So our goal is to make sure that your technology is working for you, not against you. And anybody that's gone far enough down the SaaS rabbit hole knows that some of this stuff is tough, man. It is not easy. I'm not an engineer. 
thank God I've got a co-founder who is, but my whole background is in operations and building and configuring these systems. It is tough, tough, tough job to do. So we make it a little bit easier. So here's a here's an interesting trivia point for you guys. In 2015, what was the average amount of SaaS applications the company had in 2015? And this is across all companies, not all, all sizes. Anyone want to uh, guess? It's probably 40 or 50. Well, so the average was eight. Um, I'll, I'll go 15. <laughs> yeah, in 2021, what do you think the average is? And then I can give you some by the sizes of the company. So it was eight. What do you think it is now? Now I'm going for sure, I'm sticking with 40. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking 40 with 40. 110. <laughs> oh. So it, it gets to be, if you have 10,000 plus employees, it gets to be 447 on average. So it went from overall eight. I can't break down the overall in 2015 by employee size, but in uh, in 2021, it was 447. I would say, you know, that's a good thing where lead into what we want to talk about today is right now, I think all of that exponential growth in tech stack over the last six months, especially in the go-to-market space, the tech stacks have been just getting cut because all these operators in the past, a lot of these operators, in my opinion, Brad, a lot of the operators that we that are out there in sales ops and marketing ops are former salespeople or maybe marketing people and they're not pure operators and they buy the shiny new toy and they have been buying the shiny new toy for like six years. And now what's going on is they're like, cut, 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 cut. And this is where Sonar really comes in because when you're pulling tech stack and if you use Sonar, Sonar could tell you, you know, it does a Sonar ping through your stack to say when you pulled something, did did something break that you weren't aware of? But are you, what are you seeing in the, in the trends out there today? It's just constant tech stack, right? Totally, totally. Well, I'll, I'll answer the first part of that, Jamie, because when you think about pulling tech stack, yes, but just remember, you made an investment in this system at some period of time because you thought it was going to bring value to your business. So we've all been there as execs and leaders and even as end users. What happens when you unravel that one shiny new object you bought 364 days ago? You're like, all right, we're not renewing. Let's pull it out of our tech stack. The next day, your CEO, CFO, VP of sales goes to that one dashboard they use all day, every day to run their, their business. And they hit refresh and it breaks. That one data point that you've been relying on for a very long period of time or short period of time is no longer there. We prevent against that. We give you a blueprint for your overall tech stack, understanding even all the way down to the metadata level, the field level, how these things are used. Again, my whole background I will go now to your second question. What are we seeing and what are we, uh, what I would even say as we wrap up one year and go into the next hypothesis wise, people are being challenged to do more with less. Stop me if you've heard that one. We've all sat on board meetings before and every investor under the sun is be frugal. Make sure that you stretch every dollar, make sure that you extend your runway, et cetera. And a lot of times we spend so much money on technology. So uh, at its core, you're hearing it across the entire business, every business industry agnostic, do more with less. Cut some of that technology if you don't totally need it. I'm not going to be a salmon to swim upstream there and say, hey, don't do that. No, 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 no. Keep that technology. Make your own decisions. We're all you know, humans here. We're all adults. However, consider the impact and consider the consequences. But I think my biggest hypothesis, we've been operating for the last at least three years, roughly, in a buy, don't build mentality. And I think your ops teams now 
This is going to be the biggest thing you're going to see, especially in the first half of next year. Man, I don't have that fancy lead routing tool anymore. I got to go do this manually. I can do that. I've got a handful of Salesforce certifications. I know how to orchestrate all this. I got to build it now. I don't get to buy it. And you, I can insert lead routing and or remove lead routing, insert calendaring. You know, there's so many different tools that we use for very point solutions. And I think some of those are going to be the ones that end up, you know, perhaps getting removed. Everybody makes their own decisions differently. But your the challenge ops teams are going to have no doubt. You got to go back and build it now. And I think if anything, when you're configuring these through, especially through Salesforce or any other complex system, if you don't have that blueprint. Uh, you're going to misconfigure or you're going to configure then whoops, ooh, roll back, roll back, roll back. Sorry. Also, a lot, a lot of cases, those operators aren't really operators. So now they're going to be thrown into the situation. You know, I always like a lot of the sales ops people I've dealt with in the past and all the ones I talk to, I don't think of you in this way. So anyone I talk to, I, I think highly of you. Anyone I don't talk to, this is what I, the Steiner math problem from WWF. If you ever look at that when he does math, and Pete, maybe you could put a clip up there of it. At sacrifice, you got a 33 and a third chance of winning. But I, I got a 66 and two thirds chance of winning because Kurt Angle knows he can't beat me and he's not even going to try. So Samoa Joe, you take your 33 and a third chance minus my 25% chance and you got an eight and a third chance of winning at sacrifice. But then you take my 75% chance of winning if we used to go one on one and then add 66 and two thirds percents, I got 141 and two thirds chance of winning at sacrifice. See, Joe, the numbers don't lie and they spell disaster for you at sacrifice. See, but I'm gonna break it down for all you ladies. Would you rather be with me or would you rather be with Joe? It is the funniest thing in the world, but that is sales ops or that's Pete ops. Uh, in terms of math, when Pete had his yeah, uh, I'm, I'm clipping the last thirty seconds. You <laughs> you met you mentioned the 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 magic word there, Brad. Salesforce. Methinks there's something going on there. Uh, nope, not two CEOs, one, and then Benioff comes out and says, "Hey, man, you work from home, people. You suck." Did you guys catch any of that? Oh yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think Salesforce is going to be that grill anymore. It's going to be an interesting year. I, I can, uh, there's places that I've got to be very Switzerland desk. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Salesforce absolutely. is one of our investors. So, yes, okay. Okay. Uh, but I will say, um, I think there's way people have said it. I think there's a little bit now, and this is more macro than micro to one company. Yeah. I think a lot of companies now are looking intensely at their headcount. We've already seen how that has played out this year, and I think it's going to continue next. I think in that same time, you are getting a lot of uh, companies focusing heavily on, hey, if I'm keeping you, one, feel rewarded. Two, I want to make sure that we're all striding together. And there's a collaboration effort there in person. Now, same time, we're a fully virtual company. So look at me. I'm in my comfort of my own office at my house. So I think you're going to find new balancing perspectives, but I think you're going to see more of it driven by companies and probably less of it driven by employees. I think employees have driven a lot of that demand or that marching order over the last couple of years. Um, so I think some companies will take back some of those reins. At the end of the day, measure your measure your business however you need to. We have an OKR model. A lot of people have KPI models. I don't see many OKRs that 
talk about asses and seats. I see a lot of them talk about revenue and efficiency and how you get there is up to you. So I mean, I think with Salesforce, correct me if I'm wrong, they, they bought a lot of products, a lot of companies in the last few years, some really huge like ones. Slack. Like Slack. But they, yeah. they haven't really invested a ton of time in, in making it become no. Salesforce. Integrated. Like yeah, Tableau no. and Salesforce still operate completely separately. Everyone thought when Tableau was bought, all the forecast reporting tools were going to be crushed because Tableau was going to be installed. It still doesn't work as a seamless engine. MuleSoft, Slack, they're not really like intertwined. I think if I was Salesforce and I'm speculating here, I have no inside track and I, I don't have to worry about what I say. I think what he's trying to say is we're going to start consolidating and actually investing in, in instead of holding on to all these different brands, make them all one Salesforce because Salesforce does have, it still has a great brand name and brand recognition. Totally. I, here's, here's a, here's a head scratcher for you. Cause somebody, somebody proposed this to me. So I'm curious to get y'all's thoughts on this. Uh, and they mentioned some of the same acquisitions you just did Slack, Tableau, MuleSoft. These are all big behemoths. Some were private, some were public. Now they're all under one umbrella, but a lot of people scratch their heads sometimes like, man, that thing hasn't integrated yet. Spoiler alert, Pardot really hasn't a fully integrated Salesforce yeah, no. here in Atlanta from a long time ago. Yeah. But here's the, here was the head scratcher analogy that a lot of people pointed out, like another Atlanta-based company. Help me understand Intuit and Mailchimp. Well, those things don't really align. I don't know what sort of databases those overlap with or coding languages, but I don't necessarily see those integrating roughly anytime soon. And the key positioning there was, well, just for it to be a logical business acquisition and business decision, does it actually have to integrate? No, not. Yeah. Not in all cases, but I would say like some of them, like everyone complains about Salesforce reporting. Yeah. About Tableau and they haven't integrated it. And they haven't integrated that. Yeah. That yeah. one to me is a sore spot, uh, a <laughs> an analytics person or any data person, because it drives you just absolutely. Well, how many businesses have made a living of bolting on stuff to Salesforce, right? So. Oh yeah, there's a huge ecosystem. Hand that, up, right. Yeah. Our hand up. I mean. There are, yeah. I think that's, but I also think that's what makes Salesforce uh, longevity stand, stay because they create a marketplace that you can bolt on and they say, go ahead and flourish in this environment. Obviously, I think they're sort of keeping an eye on all those bolt-ons to say, when can I go acquire it? They're, and they have acquired some of the smaller, they're smaller, they usually acquire it and added this technology. But um, I, I think that's what makes it sort of special. Whereas when you have a closed system, people don't want to deal with you. And Salesforce, everyone wants to deal with you. Everyone has. It's almost a monopoly of the CRM. Remember the old thing? We, we didn't want sales reps calling off of Excels. I think we're getting to the point yeah. where you're going to be able to do that. And I think that's where Every... Microsoft is going to, and, and LinkedIn, they're going to get whatever. Yeah, they, they still call off Excel files, yeah. right? Like, I mean... <laughs> It's happening. We all know it's happening. We just choose not to discuss it, but they're doing it. Brad, I got a question for you about tech stack. Yep. So are companies choosing to fire pieces of their tech stack or are companies choosing to just pay less? Like, hey, this is important, but I can't do it. And maybe we have a good enough relationship that I want to screw you by canceling my contract, but I'm sure not going to pay what I was paying. Like, what, which which of those is happening? Do you think it's both? Um, I don't know which 
percentage has more of the pie chart quite yet. Um, yeah. Honestly, I think the question that I'm hearing our customers ask, they're all of their tech stack, all of their companies they uh, they use, give me clear ROI to this so yeah. I don't have to go make hard decisions. Yeah, And I think that's some of the biggest ones. I mean, you're going to hear this, God, for the next 18, 24, maybe plus months. Is this a nice to have or is this a must have? Um, and I think the one unique thing that I've talked to enough folks, especially when ops, when RevOps owns part of that tech stack, is how do they go articulate that value to someone who candidly has no clue how the whole system works. Most of the time, a CFO, CIO, yeah. CTO, CEO, their job. Yeah, they just see the money. They yeah. just see the money, right? Why, why am I paying 50K for this? Or why am I paying 75K for this? And I think the challenge that a lot of companies right now, and, and we're helping our customers create this narrative, not only for Sonar, but how we think about some of the other pieces of technology that integrate with it. How do you justify it? How do you make sure this is an ironclad business decision that says, hey, we will go in the opposite direction if we actually turn this thing off or if we deprecate this. So people are putting a lot of political capital on the table too. It takes a lot yeah. of that. Go back to the relationship thing that you mentioned. Well, I yeah. think one of the biggest problems there is a lot of people buy tech. Mm -hmm. Are The buyers of tech aren't the implementers and users of the tech yeah. in many cases. Totally. So the buyer buys it. Maybe that buyer leaves. Maybe the enablement team or the person that are training them on leaves. And it's a three-year contract, year two, all of a sudden they look at it and they realize, either it wasn't implemented or it hasn't been used. And that's what a lot of tech is out there in this space is I understood why somebody understood why we bought it in the first place, but it was never rolled out completely. And therefore I need to remove it because I need to save costs. And so they're looking at usage and, and things of that nature and saying, boom, shut that. That's the low hanging fruit of what you're cutting. The more complicated cutting is we might be using it, but you can't prove the ROI, which is what Brad is saying. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the CF, CFO and CIO are saying, cut it and move back to Excel. And I, I really think one of the biggest problems we've had over the last five years is, you know, I'm seeing it with startups. I don't feel like there's a lot, there's been in five years, there's been a lot of urgency besides where am I going to get my food catered from? And uh, where am I going to get my coffee and all this? Like when you're, a, when you're a startup and you're sitting as a startup and your values are urgency, I'm like, that should be ingrained in any startup. You're, you should, guys should be scrappy and, and urgent. And instead it's been bloated and let me make sure I can go get lunch somewhere and have, you know, six hour days rather than, you know, back in the time where you were in headphones and you're plugged in and don't bother me for, three days. That doesn't occur anymore. We got to get back to that. We got to get back to scrappy business uh, lifestyle. And to do that and do more with less, you really need to start thinking about your tech stack and what you should be investing in. Personally, I think Sonar is a great investment for when you're removing tech stack and stuff of that nature, because in a lot of cases, I know I'm going on a diatribe here, but in a lot of cases, the sales ops people that bought the technology, they've all in the last two or three years turned over. So no one knows what the uh, what's going on when they implemented or overcomplicated their CRM, and then they buy Sonar to help them maneuver through and, and pull things out. Totally. Well, not to mention all the all the homegrown shit that's stuck in there that yeah. nobody knows exists, and then somebody disappears, and you're like, wait, wait, wait. Well, yeah. wait, that part of the tech stack everybody forgot. Sorry, Brad, I, I jumped in on you, but I, there's no. a, you're... I've got a personal feeling about that. <laughs> Yeah, you're spot on. One thing I'm gonna I'm gonna go back real quick, Jamie, to your your point, and then actually I'll go with the tech stack management side of things because one thing we are seeing a new trend in. But 
uh, going back to like the hiring and the folks in a business and how you go about like getting folks, you're right. A lot of people historically over the last couple of years, they've been really, really focused on what flavor beer did we have in the kegerator at the office? And oh, that's right. I did win the uh, ping pong tournament last year. I kicked your ass in that. That has been, look, there, there's a little bit of, um, I'll say like a millennial age to that or different generations that look at that and be like, hell yeah, that's the type of place I want to go. I want to wear my Chacos or Birkenstocks in the office and be cool and hip. And the focus is great there on the culture that companies build. I think that has shifted a lot over the years when you start to think about the plugged in part of, we've all watched the social network and the you know, marks over there, those headphones in and whatnot. Like there was a, there's a balance that's being found right now between the hustle and grind of, hey, this is not a eight hour, let me go walk in the park job. Sometimes it requires a little bit more than just nine to five and that's perfectly fine. But I think you're finding a good balance there. I think this year itself or going into 2023 is gonna be a real telling year for that about who makes the cut. Objectives aren't changing. At the end of the day, if you're venture backed, you know what your goals are and you know how you have to go grow a business and you've got investors to answer to. None of that's gonna shift. And I think you're going to find people who really want to be there for the right reasons versus people that want to be there for some of the glamorous uh, TikTok or tweet worthy uh, reasons. Yeah, that's amazing. You brought up social uh, network because right before you joined, Pete was yeah, talking about how he just rewatched that movie. It's a, it's a good movie. I will say, remember, it's a movie. The social Dilemma. Dilemma. Mm. That was even more interesting. Yeah. yeah. How much time we got? We oh, go yeah, yeah. You're talking about the, <laughs> the dramatization of the, of yeah, the Facebook. I like it's all, that. It's all yeah. advertising. Oh, yeah. Well, here, I'm, I'm going to go back. Um, Jason, I think what you were saying, too, or, or then I'll piggyback off of, as you're making these decisions, congratulations, a new market has emerged. And you're, I say a new one or, or potentially one that is bolstering up right now when you look at your vendor management type softwares. Uh, really close with uh, Ryan New over at Vendor. I know Tropic is in here as well, but you actually now have, it was a little bit of an inception if you want to go into the inception side of things, but like, yeah, you got a piece of software helping you understand what software has other software stacked on top mm -hmm. of it, who's mm -hmm. optimizing it and your license count and your utilization of it. So, you know, I think with every problem, now you have a unique way of going to solve it. And it's still backed by software. So um, I don't know. I think we're seeing more and more of that. Candidly, I really enjoy working with both of those platforms and other ones that are out there. Uh, look, we're relatively transparent, very transparent with what we charge, how we charge, what value we bring. And so when we actually start working with some of these vendor management type tools, we've got great partnerships with them and a good uh, relationship with them to actually help us close deals, not hurt us from closing them. So I encourage anybody that's in the software game, Go partner up with them. Uh, don't try to be a salmon upstream against them. That's not going to render very well for you, but they're here to try to make sure that their customers get the right stuff that they need. So. Brad, you brought it up earlier, the buyer of your product. Somebody said chief revenue officer. Mm -hmm. And I saw a nice little podcast you were on. It stole my title. What the fuck is a chief revenue officer? But <laughs> is that going to be something? See, I can say that. Is yeah. that going to be something that's long-term or is <laughs> that a fad? Because- the people that buy it aren't there anymore. And you're trying to justify the purchase because the guy that said, yeah, let's go get it. He only lasted 18 months. Is a CRO a long-term or short-term thing? I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's going to evolve. So I do think it'll be long-term. I don't think it's going to be what you see right now. And 
I'll preface it. I'm not, I shouldn't be offending any CROs here. Uh, you know, whoever listens to this at some point. I think no one, no one listens to our show. Don't worry about okay. it. <laughs> and, uh, if, and if you get it, if some, if it's someone who's a CRO gets offended by what you're ready to say, they're probably not ready to be a CRO. That's, that's a, the thought there. I, I completely agree. I think you saw <laughs> the evolution of this go from a VP of sales to how do I get that sales focused person at the big C at the table with a C-suite title. And it was the natural evolution. You weren't gonna go CSO because you already had chief strategy officer out there. You didn't wanna confuse everybody. So you substituted sales with revenue and voila, we've got a new C-suite position and that's fine. I think where it gets misconstrued and I think some companies fuck this up, Pete, is to say, should that one person truly at a scalable size be in charge of marketing, sales, and customer success? I'll tell you right now, as a CEO of a relatively smaller company, it's hard enough for me to manage the people that have those direct responsibilities. So if you put one person in charge of all those teams that way, I think that's tough. And also, I think there's, here's my like personal Brad Smith hot take on it. I think you need to have accountability between those apartments, push each other not one person own it and they can rob Peter to pay Paul. By that, I mean, you might find yourself in a situation as someone at the CRO level who's mainly focused on sales, maneuver a deal in a specific way to get it across the finish line that 365 days from now, now we're giving the headache back over to success or they're just mitigating that headache because they're like, hey, I know this is a bad deal, but I got to hit a revenue target. I got to close it no matter what. Let's go get them into the uh, to the business. When you know it's a bad deal, you know they're not going to renew. Like you are talking earlier, a buddy does you a favor, buys your product. I think you have a better accountability when you have dedicated chief customer success officer, chief customer officer, helpfully challenge that head of sales CRO back and say, hey, man, I don't think that's a good deal. Like, I don't think this is actually for the right thing for the business. Like, we're not going to renew them. We're not going to retain them. So I think you you need to ask yourself, how do I make sure I hold that person accountable to not cut corners just to hit one number when they have three different departments underneath them? So what size of company think, are you seeing, Brad, where you see a chief revenue officer? Is it company size, layers of management? Is it the CEO? What does the CEO do? Like, what are you seeing out there? Yeah. You see it, I see it more in some of this B2B SaaS that is all the way from the, I don't say the 50 person company. I usually don't see it come up until roughly a hundred overall employee headcount, but you also see it kind of on a bell curve here, right? You see it taper off or you don't see this much of a, a CRO in companies on the NASDAQ or public companies. Like that has not made its wave up there. So I think it, it fits a purpose for a specific growth style company. And candidly, if you're trying to be very efficient right now, you can employ that CRO strategy and it can get you from point A to point B. Now, do I think it's going to go from point B to C and C to D? I, I don't think so. I mean, once you, you need dedicated C-suite effort and sets of eyes when you get into that 500, 1,000, 1,500 person company, every industry is different, but that's where I think you need to parse it back out. But it's okay. I think it's okay sometimes to merge it up and then parse it back out. Or do you think the CRO, do you think the CRO should be a sales, former sales leader? Because, you know, the, the funny thing I always hear all the time is these sales guys come up to me, sales leaders go, I'm a data-driven sales leader. And I'm like, you don't even know what that means because you've talked to five customers and they told you data points that you want to do. That's called anecdotal data person. And that's not a data person. I personally believe that the CRO 
in a way should be more of an operator. And the reason why is because they're managing the marketing and the sales, and they're trying to make everything go efficiently so that the board is getting a, a, a true sense of what's going on and not a story. Cause I don't want story time from my CRO. I, I don't either. <laughs> I don't necessarily like having story time. I will say the better you can align objective data and remove bias Put that person in that seat, whatever the title is. And a good example is a good friend of mine um, started in the RevOps world, phenomenal operations guy, moved over to a company, was there for the RevOps. He was their VP of RevOps. And then he just became their VP of revenue and inherited the sales team. And it was because he had such operational rigor. He could see and understand, hey, I know I need to hold these sales teams accountable for this much activity level, this much outputs they have to go drive. And he took it without what you typically see a lot of the cheerleader aspect of it, you know, pound your chest, like, you know, emphatic or flamboyant sales leader. No, he took a very objective data-driven approach and he's great at his job. And I think you want the hot take for a hypothesis going into next year and even more of that. Two things. I think you're going to see more RevOps backgrounded folks jump into being that overall chief revenue leader. Uh, I think you're also going to see them go start companies. It's one of the few positions that has visibility and overlap into many different departments instead of just one isolated department. Do you think we need a chief cadence officer? Chief cadence officer. Beautiful. You like that? Uh, For all those meetings that you go into uh, where everybody lies, you brought up storytelling. That's why I brought it up. Uh What's the likelihood percentage that this will close in the next, I don't know. I mean, I had CROs that would be like, I looked them in the eyes and I knew I was going to get this deal. What? Like, okay, hey, we got to make a bet. That's where we get paid the big bucks. No, that's why you get paid the big bucks. And that's why if you fail, you're walking out of here with a ton of equity anyway. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. I can't, God, I'm going to blank on the name. The company went under earlier this year, but you talk about a misuse of funds. and just not a lot of operational rigor. They had a chief hoodie officer. So just the person that was fully in charge of swag. And I was like, man, two things. One, I want that job. Al, actually, I don't want that job because they were- You don't. Trust me, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's not a fun job to have. But uh, I don't know, man. I think it's it's a polarizing question. It's a polarizing position. I also see a ton of successful companies that have it. So, um, well, I mean, you, you, it, it's all about laying odds, right? So you can spend time justifying Excel or you can spend time going to get another customer or developing a current customer. So what's a better use of your energy? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it would, it seems like the goal is get me a set of, technology and a set of people who think about this is the process and this is the outcome of the process and here are our goals and how we approach those goals and can use those things in conjunction to come up with what you think your best bet is and and that's why i think like your description of somebody who's a cro and more of a process driven person rather than a sales driven person is like i i don't, I don't know if you want your cro out signing helping someone sign a contract or if you want them to be the person that says, here's how it works across the whole business to make that successful. I just, by the way, look for the chief hoodie officer to see what his background was or her background. I couldn't find them, but I can't wait. 
Um, my, my guess is they've uh, modified that CV to not have the title anymore. Uh, like a personal shopper, basically. Yeah, totally. Let's go back to Benioff. All right. Yeah. He, you know, Salesforce has always been at the front end of things, you know, for, for PR. That's pretty strong for him to come out and say, hey, man, you guys suck at home. Come back in here. What do you think the KPIs, what are they looking at? What needs to happen to determine whether somebody should be at the house or, or in the office? Any guesses are welcome. Just like a cadence call. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'll i be honest. I've been trying to unpack that. I've asked the same question to a lot of folks. That you're going to get a lot of polarizing or just a lot of opinionated questions or answers. Uh, I think the hottest take that I've heard, I just kind of, I, I can't help but roll my eye at it sometimes. Like, oh man, I bet he, uh, I can really want to imagine what that office costs. And he's just trying to rationalize, making sure that they, they've got all these beautiful towers everywhere. Um, that is certain- It's a building. It's a, I mean, he's got buildings. He is on the hook for some, you know, pension fund that's now invested into a real estate deal and everybody's getting screwed and he's on the hook for it. Yeah. So I can tell you for Atlanta, at least, because we have a Salesforce tower here. I'm going to be over there well, not next week because that's the holidays. The week after that, we, we meet with them a good bit. They're a good partner of ours. They only have like three floors and a 30-something, 40-something. Same thing in the Salesforce tower in San Francisco. They don't, you know, Accenture's in there. Two yeah, are it's not everybody. There. Um, so I, that's where I kind of distill some of it down. Now, look, nobody wants to waste money right now. So there is a, a rational thought there to say like, hey, we've got this long-term lease that we have now signed. I want people to get in there. Um, I, I talk about office setting a good bit because we a little bit boomerang. We started virtual, we got into the office. Now we're back to, to being fully virtual. Ours is a little bit more on the hiring side. We keep hiring more and more folks out of the city of Atlanta. And so uh, we still all get together pretty good bit, a couple times a month until jam out. We also get together at breweries. That's a really good place to go have a good team building uh, camaraderie session. But I don't know. Early days, Jack and I both struggled immensely starting a business virtually, just like this, from the ground up, mainly because we can't be on every call at the same time, or there's still just some overall value, man, of getting out your marker and going over to the whiteboard and just drawing circles and squares and dots and trying to figure shit out, right? Um, so I think as you're building processes, it's sometimes easier to be in person uh, a lot of that just also goes down to, man, are we in the weeds together? Are we just rolling up our sleeves? Are we knuckling these deals across the line? One reflection we had when we started doing messaging, this is one of those times where we hired our first SDR and AE. And I remember being in one big room together and hearing somebody say like, oh, 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 you're the you're the Informatica administrator, not the Salesforce administrator. Again, it was like you know, a younger SDR. They hung up the phone. And if I wasn't there to personally intercept that, I probably would have called it two or three days later, listening to gong calls or things like that. But man, I'm glad I was like, hey, pull up the background of that person. I'm curious what you what you saw that compelled you to call them. I'm not mad at you, just trying to understand a little bit deeper. So there's just some timely in the moments where you could hear and observe and listen and soak it in. Now we felt comfortable going back to virtual. We've been around for a handful of years. We have most of our processes documented. So now we can do a lot of this async, but there's a factor of it where just being together and building things in person is gratifying, but also it's just speedy and timely. That's the only thing I've heard is onboarding and with the SDRs where everybody's together and you can share knowledge quicker. But once you're, you know, a veteran, what's the value of a, you know, an SAE going, you know, coming into the office 
you know, yeah. I, I was dealing with the Fortune, I think the Fortune 100 company, and their 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 leader was asking me, "Hey, I've got a, I'm now getting mandated to bring my entire team back into the office, two to three days a week." And he goes, "What would you do if you were in that situation?" This is a legit question I was asked. I said. I would make it known that this two to three days a week are going to be less productive because I'm going to be asking my team to come in when they could be working from home. They're going to be commuting into the city. Um, some of them live a little bit farther out because they may have moved over the last couple of years. And then at the same time, I'm going to be using that time because this is a Fortune 100 company. I'm not building anything. We're maintaining processes. Is I'm going to use a lot of that time for team building, You know, get them huddled in a room, maybe go to lunch, do something like that where it's more of a cultural thing than anything else. So if you want a, a drop in productivity, then that's fine. And, but you're going to have a better culture and a better camaraderie as a group. And as long as that's the focus, then then I'm kind of fine with it. But if you're thinking you're going to have the same productivity when you're asking them to commute in two hours a day, um, you're not going to get that. I'll, I'll tell you two quick anecdotes. When, and again, when we went back to being virtual, I said, uh, we we use this word on purpose, intentionality. When we get together, it will be intentional and it won't necessarily be rhythmic. Spoiler alert, nobody wants to go fight traffic on a Monday morning, myself included. I did it for a long time. So we will be intentional about how we get together. Can I tell you, we, were, we got together last week as the whole team. We did our all hands uh, offsite up in Buckhead. And uh, I watched more productivity happen the day before because everybody knew they were kind of cutting out around like two o'clock. We're going to have all hands and a happy hour. Goals don't change. Your outputs don't change. How you go about your business and making sure you hit your goals. I saw more productivity the day before because people knew they were going to take a little bit of the afternoon off to be together. You're right. Activity levels actually decrease with commutes and going to get long lunches and things like that. So at the same time, like I, I think when I was working in an office, when I left that office, there was a little bit more respect held by the rest of the employees because they would be like, oh, Jamie's no longer here. You know, I got four kids. He's probably running around with them. Nowadays, I don't have that that physical virtual signal of leaving my office, turning off my lights and leaving that over the last two or three years, it's been common to get pinged at 11 o'clock and, and expect you to be on. Almost expect you to be like, hey, can you get this to me mm -hmm. uh, ASAP? And you're like, I might as well do it now because I'm working from home. And all I'm doing is watching Notre Dame crush Clemson. There it is. Back to that. I had the fight song ready for you right there. I just, uh, I just did the cheer cheer for old Notre Dame. So there we go. Hey, um, Christmas is coming up, holiday season, January's next month. That's kickoff season. What are you guys' thoughts on doing kickoffs? Is there a value to it? Like, why do you do it? And what size company should you be in order to bring the entire world in in one place and kick off? So we're fortunate because we've got the one month offset. So that goes into uh, our kickoff will be late February, early March is where we're where we're targeting. Um I don't look at it as a sales kickoff. I think that term is somewhat, uh, I don't say extinct, but a lot of companies now are using it more methodically of your go-to-market kickoff or just your company kickoff. Um, we do a, a, a very meaningful job of this. We do this intentionally is we don't have uh, just a department kickoff. Every department does their own, but when we do it as a team, we do it as a team. So we did, we do it every quarter as well. We don't necessarily just do it every once a year, uh, but we use it as a time, get together, 
if you want, we'll be intentional about it. But we, we have an employee in Bosnia, so he, he doesn't fly here that often. So we're still going to do it virtually. Um, but we let everybody get together, but we make sure that each department has equal airtime. But I think it is important that if you don't, we were just, I'm not kidding when I tell you this, right before starting this podcast, we were doing our uh, OKR setting for next quarter or for next year. And so I look at it as a better time for you to align your whole company about what the hell you're doing, who you're doing it for, and what are our biggest objectives? Not just what's our new revenue number, what's the one or two like isolated KPIs. Use it as a company level. Don't use it as a uh, just individual department level. I love the idea that that every, I mean, everybody should care what the numbers are, what the metrics are, what the company level. And, and if you've got people who don't understand that, then you have to either get them to understand it or, you know, they, they should leave if they don't really understand it. But like a kick, that kickoff or big meeting time is perfect. I think perfect time to, to do that. And it doesn't, I don't think, you know, I don't know, Pete, I, I've been at kickoffs that are, week long and a long way away and i've been at kickoffs that are half a day virtual you know and, and like i kind of like the half a day virtual one better than the week long you know far away but i mean e either way i think there's invaluable stuff to go i think it's half a day virtual i think the people that do a three-day virtual is just an absolute yeah, yeah you're gonna kill i don't need to play that. kahoot with my teammates i don't need uh, right. to have uh, a virtual magic show or uh, a virtual unboxing of wine drinking and looking at each other in the, I, I don't need that. Like, no. I, you don't, let's just get it over with. But I think that's, again, you'd have flexibility to design what you want, Jamie, right? And that kind of thing. You say, well, I don't want to do that. What do you want to do? Do something interesting. You know, well, let's do yeah, but you'll come up with it. Jason, that, that's fine. But at a certain level, you know, you, they're, they want you to be supportive of whatever is being done. Yeah, so yeah. You, feel like you have to, you feel like you have to attend to support. Them. Yeah, yeah. One thing, the one thing that we, I say we, I'm going to give Kayla, our head of HR, a big high five for this. She just does such a great job of keeping her ear to the ground on what everybody wants. So we obviously do our quarterly engagement surveys, but every time we do something like the offsite that we we're talking about, our quarterly kickoff, quickly, while it's top of mind, she send, she'll send a quick survey out like, how'd that go? What could we do different? Do you like this? Do you want to do it again next quarter? Um I think too often, you know, you can be dogmatic as an executive and say, nope, we're doing it. It's my way or the highway and bang yeah. it on the table. Ask a question every once in a while. Like, hey, how did that go? You guys want to do this again in 90 days? Want to do it again in 365? What can we do different? Um, not to say you you uh, listen to every piece of feedback because feedback is uh, fantastic sometimes, but synthesize it all down. Get what you think is best for your company, but listen to your folks. That's what we do a good bit of. Somebody brought up the 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 word numbers. I'm going to take a pin out of the grenade and throw it at you, Brad. You know, when you uh, meet with your investors and the board and all that, and they said, you guys negotiate whatever your number is, should that number be carried all the way down to the sales floor? Um, I think yes and no. I, well, I'll tell you this. I've worked in two different environments, and Sonar included. We're very transparent. We talk about the same numbers that our board looks at. So um, I'm not the biggest fan of sandbagging or of like, ooh, I've got my board number and I've got my overall number. Uh, candidly, whenever we have a board meeting, the very next all hands that we have, we run through the board deck. Now, there's some slides that we, we pull out, of course, yeah. some are sensitive and uh, things like that. But I think it's also important for people to understand how the business works. 
especially go through a time like this and economic situation that we're in. Um, if you aren't educating your team on how your business runs, I think you're going to put yourself and your company more at risk than by trying to fluff it or sugarcoat it. Um, we talk about this and Kraft is one of our major investors. They led our series A. If anybody listens to Sachs and Shamath and J-Cal and uh, everybody on there, Freebird about the All In podcast, they talk heavily about numbers and about metrics and how we operate the right way. Our team listens to that, just to be very honest, like we promote it. And so if we're not talking about the similar numbers, the similar growth, the similar revenue and how we think about burn multiple and things like that, we'd be doing a disservice to our, our company and to the folks that everybody in our company is a shareholder. I want them to know how we're operating, what our success is going to look like, hopefully what the longevity of our business can be. But I don't think hiding it's ever going to be helpful. But Brad, Carney says that you got inflated by 20% to deal with attrition. Is that what Jamie said? Go ahead, Carney. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> I, Pete, you, you don't understand. Over a sign at the rep level, you need, you can't have the quota of the reps equal your number because not every rep is going to be there for the entire year, nor is every rep not. Now I'm fine with sales leaders and sales managers carrying the same number and they'll all have an over assign. I think that's fine because everyone's managing to the same. But if I have 10 reps and I give them each $1 million worth of quota um, and that, and my number is 10 million and one of those reps leave, I'm screwed. Right. And I can't control that. I can't control that no matter how many, on sites I do, how much I love them, how much I, I make them happy. I cannot control that. And so I think um, that's something we need to think. So it's not a company-wide problem, attrition. It's just whoever that first-line sales manager, it's his problem? No. So you need to do, like, if it's $10 million worth of quota, you you should only sign up for $8 million worth of a number. And do that's you, how you should build it that way. Do you have your reps or have you been in a scenario, I won't have to say just from where you are now, but have you been in a scenario where your rep is um, rewarded or compensated based on the team number versus their individual? Is there an extra kicker if the team hits the number? Then at the end of the day, they should be happy as a pig in mud with whatever their quota is and whatever they get to take home. And this is how we've done this before. Like I will show it depending quarter over quarter, depending on when we have people ramping, our reps will ask all the time, wait a minute, all of our quota doesn't align all the way up to the team goal. I'm like, yeah, no, that's that's perfectly fine. Our team goal, I gave a little bit of a haircut because the reality is not everybody hits. Doesn't change how much you take home. Certainly doesn't change your accelerators. Doesn't change how you make your money. Um, trust me, reps should be motivated personally, yeah. individually. I would say this. The part I don't like is the behaviors of, I believe all comp plans should be uncapped. And I don't like when you get to a certain point in some companies, they say your acceleration is this, it's 300% of your base rate if you if you do 300%. But then after that, it goes back down to your original base rate. I'm like, why? <laughs> I would take that all day long. And I'd be like, that's a good problem to have when reps are crushing quota. Um, and there's a lot of companies out there that sit there and adjust quota. I'm like, I would take all day long for a rep to be doing 12, 10 times. We had a rep one time that broke our comp plan was going to make like $15 million off of one. Deal. What's wasted more in uh, <laughs> the sales compensation guys or the, uh, the rev ops guys <laughs> doling out territories. 
<laughs> Everybody's looking at Excels when they should be talking to customers. When do you think we're going to pay the everybody a salary? You're in sales, non-sales, you have a job function, and we're going to pay you to the degree where, where compensation is no longer a discussion. If you're in a market where you need to make 300 grand, and if you really kill it, it's 350. It's based on the revenue that you generated and the salary that you get. And if you don't generate it, go go elsewhere. I'll hang up and listen to my uh, answer, Brad. <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> um, no, this is easy. We can all do that right now if we want to move to Amsterdam. Super easy. We can all make the same amount of money, do the same amount of level of effort. Uh, I will not get political on that. I'm actually going to spin that a little differently because you talk about the RevOps role. You talk about like deal desk or who's carving out territory or comp. Um, this is actually a really fun conversation I do get to go have with CROs uh, sometimes about how you measure their worth and measure their outputs. Um, and this is in light of Sonar and how we help, you know, obviously orchestrate your tech stack. But I always paint this lovely scenario. This is one of the jobs I love doing when I'm doing executive alignment and deals. Uh, and I get to jump on the phone with CRO and say, you know what? Talk to me about this most recent quarter. Actually, let me paint a picture for you. You have a rep down on that end of the uh, of the desk row that he uh, he's at 98% of quota. At the last day of the quarter, what's your sentiment to that person? Are you going to them like, you know, cracking a whip on them? They didn't get to 100% and you're pissed off? Or are you giving them a high five? And now they'll pontificate a little bit sometimes, like I'm cracking the whip. I can't believe they're only two points off. I was like, yeah, right. You sandbagged your number. You're going to hit your overall uh, number, right? Great. So your, your sentiment there is still to give a high five to that rep at 98%, right? Look down the other row and look at your RevOps person or look at your uh, territories person, your compensation model person. They hit 98% of their OKRs, whatever your goalie mechanism is. What's your sentiment? And by the way, their OKRs were uh, redefine the territory model, fix the comp plan, and implement people AI. They got the first two done, but they're 98% done with that implementation of that system. What's your sentiment? Are you giving them a high five? Or are you going to come crashing down on them? It's like, well, they're not getting the same high five as the guy who hit 98% of quota because that helped me at my number. 98% of implementing a piece of software didn't give me shit. Like, we don't get to use it yet. I put a major investment in this thing, and now I don't even get to implement it or use it. So I paint that picture every time. Ops is somewhat binary. Treat them like an engineer. Like they need to get their shit done. It's one or zero. They either get it done or they don't. Now, they also need the tools in their tool belt to help get that done. They don't, you don't go to an engineer and say, hey, uh, go develop this badass piece of software, but you don't get to use GitHub or PagerDuty or Datadog or anything like that. Go do it with uh, popsicle sticks and bubble gum. No, you tool them the right way. Make sure that their outputs align to what your business strategy is. And at the end of the day, make sure you can measure it. If you want them to get it done faster, Sonar can help there, but measure it the right way. So uh, use that whenever you're talking to a, a CRO. See how that one plays out next time. Brad Smith, what a guest on the Sassholes podcast. God, that flew. I didn't realize we were, I just now looked at time for the first time. That was a, uh, that's a really fast little podcast. That was great. Nah, we'll we'll use most of it, Carney. Well, hold on. He's still got to he's got to pay his debt. I, yeah. I, let me let me pull it up. You sent me the link earlier. I gotta find it. Here we go. Cheer cheer for old Notre Dame. I'll let this. Hear it? I can't hear it. You gotta share your uh, audio. I'll play it. I'll play it.
I will say this, and, uh, I guess in closing, uh, Pete, Jason, y'all both appreciate this. Jamie did tell me, he's like, man, next time you're in Chicago, make sure you go up to the, the local bartender. Uh, it's a Chicago tradition. Make sure they uh, you get you a shot of Malort. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do that. I was in Chicago and I forgot the name of it. I, I was like, all right, I'm not going to embarrass myself to this bartender and say, give me the shot of the famous stuff. So I just forgot. Yeah. True story. We were at our holiday party last week. Uh, and a buddy or a guy that works for us came up to us like, go take a shot of Malort with me. And it rung a bell in my head. I was like, wait a minute. That's what Jamie told me to do as a joke. Yeah. I think he was trolling me. I will have you know, I still took a shot of Malort last week just for you. Close. Okay, I hope you didn't do it. Malort, Malort, <laughs> the ta famous taglines are, tonight's the night you fight your dad and these pants don't fit themselves. Right? Those are a couple of my favorite taglines of Malort. Um, but yeah, it's great. All right, Pete, you ready? I've heard since 1967. <laughs> Pete, are you playing it or no? You're not going to play it? I'm going to play it after. Yeah. Oh, you're going to play it after. Okay. Yeah, Let's so he can just together. sing it. I'll have it. Thanks, showing up. Thanks for being on our last show, Brad. Of course. Uh, guys, have a great <laughs> year. Happy holidays. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> Rally sons of Notre Dame, come on! Sing the play in Southern Raise your hand, take me, cheer on the boys to rah-rah for Notre Dame! Hey, guys. Why? Why? I'll let them go! Why? Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. DemandFarm.com. Unlock key account growth with Demand Farm's large deal, key account, and relationship intelligence products. Go to demandfarm.com now to schedule a demo. Ask for Iron Man. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In five hours over five weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team build the mindset and skills for a new buyer environment. Kick off in product-driven selling versus authentic conversations for all go-to-market teams. Team-level sessions for self-assessment and team dialogue. All go-to-market team wrap-up to identify top go-to-market strategy adjustments. Go to winalytics.com now.